Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. We're continuing our series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. Um, as we have been mentioning, the notes and recordings for each one of these studies are all available at our church website, uh, new-life-ministries.org. And if you are following in the notes, we're moving along in part two, and we're about on page 17 now. Uh, let me give a brief recap of what we've looked at these past couple of sessions. We are now looking at the Passover, a very important study in the scriptures. And we're looking at this whole picture of Israel coming out of Egypt, traveling through the wilderness, and eventually going into Canaan, the promised land. And it's, it's a marvelous history, but it's something more than that, as we've been studying. It's actually a type and a shadow of our whole New Testament salvation journey. And just as the Israelites had to come out of slavery and move into that place of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey, so God meets us in our bondage, our bondage being sin, and he brings us out of bondage into abundant life in Christ Jesus. And there is both an earthly component and, of course, an eternal heavenly component to this. He brings us out to take us in, and ultimately we want to go in to our eternal inheritance, which is stored up in heaven for us, we saw in 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> but even, even before we go to heaven, God has an abundant, spirit-filled life of rest that he has prepared for us. And one of the ways that we are viewing this whole Bible study is we want to enter into rest. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 say that the children of Israel could not enter into that rest for two reasons. It wasn't because of the desert, it wasn't because of the giants or the walled cities or all of the enemies that they had to overcome. There were two reasons that they couldn't enter into rest, and we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. Their reasons for not entering God rest were very simply unbelief, and disobedience. In other words, they were their worst enemies. They kept themselves out of the promised land. And ultimately, it's not going to be the devil or demons or circumstances or problems that keep you or me from entering into God's abundance. It'll be our own fault, our own unbelief, and our own disobedience. So, we saw last time that two essential things that Israel needed, and by extension, you and I need, is faith and obedience. They kept the Passover by faith. And you have to think about this. This had never been done before. And the Israelites had been in bondage for 400 years. And it seems like a kind of a silly exercise to take a lamb kill it, take its blood, and put it around your doorway. And that's supposed to get you out of slavery? And as we often see in Scripture, the natural mind cannot figure out or analyze the purposes and the ways of God. But those who had faith and simply obeyed what God told them to do, in that one single night, they were delivered from Pharaoh's bondage. And after nine other plagues, it was only through the blood of the Passover lamb that they were set free. This is a very powerful message. It's not just power and signs and wonders that are going to deliver you and me from the bondage and the power of sin. Nothing but the blood of the Passover lamb could set them free, 
and nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can set you or me free from the bondage of sin. We've been referring a lot to Exodus chapter 12, and if you haven't done so, I would strongly recommend reading that whole chapter and look at it carefully, line by line. Lots of details there. We're just skimming the surface. There's a lot more there to look at, but every detail about this Passover is significant because we've seen that in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Corinth, he said, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. So, there is a Passover, and there's a Passover feast for the Christian. The Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. The feast we're going to talk about more tonight was a very detailed festival that the Israelites were to celebrate, not only that night in Egypt when they were set free, but God instituted from that time forward, every year, the Israelites were to commemorate and to remember that event by celebrating the Passover. We saw last time that the lamb that each household used as a part of this Passover in Egypt, it had to be a perfect, spotless lamb without any blemish. Again, pointing to Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless lamb of God who had no sin, no blemish. He was blameless, holy, pure, set apart so that he could save us to the uttermost. The entire congregation of Israel had to be involved in the sacrifice of these lambs. And the head of each household was responsible for taking the blood of that lamb and applying it to the doorway of his house. And the reason this festival is called the Passover, we saw, was God told them, tonight, I'm going to pass through Egypt. Every house that does not have that blood of the Lamb over its doorway, the firstborn of every living thing in that house will be put to death. And God commanded His destroying angel to go throughout Egypt and every household where He did not find that blood over the doorway, death came to the firstborn of every livestock and even every human being. And the reason it's called the Passover is in Exodus 12, God told them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Very powerful words. And you need to pray that those words get deep into your spirit. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This blood sacrifice was not for Pharaoh had nothing to do with Pharaoh. It wasn't something that Pharaoh was supposed to see, or when he came to a house, if he saw the blood. had nothing to do with Pharaoh. This blood was for one person and for one person only to see. It was for God to see. And that's a very powerful message. When God sees the blood, he passes over us. And that's why Jesus Christ is called God's Passover. When Jesus died on the cross, His blood was primarily for the Heavenly Father to see. And just as in Egypt, when God said, When I see the blood, my wrath and my judgment, my death, will pass over your home, so now, when God sees the blood of his own son that was shed on Calvary, then and only then can he pass over your life or mine. And let me emphasize this once again. Every one of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The sentence of death 
was upon every single one of us. And the Bible says, any man, woman, or child without Christ, the wrath of God is already resting upon him. Like a dark cloud, God's wrath and judgment is already hanging over every human being. There's only one way that his wrath, judgment, and destruction will pass over you, and that's when he sees the blood. It doesn't say when he sees your good works. It doesn't even say when he sees how clever you are, or how good-looking you are, or how much faith you have. Faith is good. That's very important. We've emphasized that. But ultimately, there's only one way that God will pass over the sinner. That's when he sees the blood. Because the blood signifies that the penalty has been paid for the sin. And when you and I appropriate that blood by faith, just like the head of the household in the Old Testament had to literally paint that blood around his doorway, so we are now appropriating God's provision for our life. My sins are under that blood, therefore God has passed over me with his wrath and judgment. We saw also in Exodus 12 that not only did God destroy the firstborn of all living things in Egypt, it also says he was bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. Little g, the gods of Egypt. They had all kinds of idols, all kinds of false gods that they worshipped, and God was even bringing judgment on all of those gods. Finally, we ended last time by seeing that not only was the blood an important part of this whole process, in that same night, after they sacrificed the lamb, put his blood on their, on their doorposts, they then had to eat the lamb. And the scripture is very clear, they had to eat the whole lamb. Every part of that lamb had to be eaten. And, again, by extension, if Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, and Paul says, now let us keep the feast, spiritually speaking, we need to not only take his blood and by faith apply it to our hearts and lives, we need to eat the lamb. In other words, we need to partake of Christ in every way. And there were certain parts of the lamb that would not have been very appetizing. And I'm going to be very honest with you. There are certain aspects of Christ that aren't very appetizing. They aren't very inviting. His sufferings, his persecutions, all of the difficulties and challenges he had to face. But we need to eat the whole lamb. And we saw also that when they ate the lamb, God gave them two specific instructions. They had to eat it with bitter herbs, again, signifying this was not all a cakewalk. There was a bitter aspect to this night of deliverance. And it was also a reminder of the bitter bondage that God was delivering them from, and Secondly, they could have no yeast, no leaven in their houses. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we finished last time looking in 1 Corinthians 5, and I want to read these verses again. 1 Corinthians 5, from 6 to 8, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Now, if you stop there, you have no idea where Paul's going with this. Is he giving a baking lesson? Is he giving a historical teaching about the Israelites in Egypt? What in the world is he talking about? Verse 7, Get rid of the old yeast, 
that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Here's one of many clear examples where an Old Testament uh, reality, they really, ha- <clears throat> they really had yeast, they had dough, they had bread, but Paul is talking about a spiritual, a figurative, if you will, a symbolic meaning behind that. They had real yeast, He's telling us, get rid of the yeast of malice and wickedness. They had real bread. He's telling us now, keep this Passover feast with a spiritual bread that has no yeast. What is it? He calls it the bread of sincerity and truth. And summing all this up, if you and I are going to come to Christ as our Passover lamb and experience true deliverance from the slavery of sin, we have to be sincere. The the yeast, the leaven, speaks about deceit, hypocrisy, hidden sin, malice, wickedness. In other words, we need to come to Him with a true, genuine heart, with a real, sincere repentance. I'm coming to Jesus as a sinner, confessing my sins, admitting that my life is messed up, but also trusting in Him as God's provision to deliver me from that sin. And we also saw, very interesting, that the word that Paul uses here, sincerity, the bread of sincerity, comes from the Greek word which means to be judged by the sun's rays. In other words, bringing it out into the sunlight, bringing it out into the open. You can only hide in darkness. You can't hide in bright light. And, you know, creatures like cockroaches and mice and rats... These are all creatures of the darkness. They wait until it's dark, and then they creep around in the darkness where they can hide. But if you turn on the lights, they are suddenly exposed. I think I've shared with some of you an experience I had years ago. Um, I was transferred from a church that I was pastoring in Maryland to a church in Brooklyn, New York. And I had grown up and spent my whole life in nice, green, suburban Maryland. And the thought of going to the inner city of Brooklyn, New York, terrified me. And I'll never forget, driving into New York City, I just felt my whole stomach going into knots. And I was like, Lord, there's no way I'm going to make it here. I'm just not even going to survive one day. And, you know, I am more and more convinced that God has a sense of humor in the things that he does in our lives. And by no coincidence, that night was the night of 4th of July. And as I'm pulling in to Brooklyn, New York, I wasn't sure whether I was in the middle of a war or whether it was the 4th of July celebration. I heard bombs, guns going off, fireworks... And I was so scared as I pulled up Lincoln Road, Brooklyn, New York, to the place where I was going to be living for the next two years of my life. I told the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. And the pastor that I was replacing, he was standing out on the front porch uh, with bombs and smoke and rockets and guns going off. He had a big smile on his face. And he said, Praise God, brother. Welcome to Brooklyn. They just murdered the owner of the dry cleaners down at this end of the street this morning. 
There was another shooting up at this end of the street a little while ago, and some of the sounds that you're hearing are 4th of July fireworks, but others are actual gunfire. Welcome to New York. I'm leaving at 7 o'clock in the morning. You're in charge now. And he showed me to my little room, and after I'd situated a few of my things and had something to eat, I decided, man, I just, I'm just going to bed tonight. I fell down on the bed, turned out the lights, and about an hour or two later, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I decided I needed to go to the bathroom, and I turned on the lights. I didn't know it was possible to be sharing a room with that many cockroaches. And they were literally running up and down the walls, all over my bed, my pillow, everywhere I looked in the room, cockroaches. And it's funny, you didn't see them when the lights were on. They all came out in the darkness. And as soon as I turned on the lights, they all started scurrying and running to hide again. And you know, the Lord has never let me forget that experience. By the way, I finally got some insect spray and I dealt with the cockroaches, but... Um, I have never forgotten that picture because those cockroaches are kind of like demons. They're kind of like little hidden sins. They're kind of like this leaven. It all likes to come out in the darkness. But when you turn on the light, when, when these things are judged by the sun's rays, then you have to be genuine. You have to be pure. And we saw last time in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, hear those words, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Stop right there. If, it's a condition, if we walk in the light, then the blood cleanses us from all sin. There's a connection between walking in light and the blood of the Passover lamb cleansing us. So this feast has to be kept without leaven. We need to get rid of the malice, the wickedness, the hypocrisy, the hidden sin. We're coming out of darkness into his marvelous light, Peter says. And part of our deliverance is indeed that coming out of darkness, coming into a sincere, open-faced relationship with God. All right. Moving on to new territory tonight, if you're following in the notes, we're on page 17, section H. One other very interesting detail that we learn in Exodus 12, the Passover had to be eaten in haste. In haste. They had to do it in a hurry. They couldn't take their time, they couldn't tarry, or delay, or kind of kick back and make this an all-night affair. It had to be eaten in haste because the children of Israel that night were being driven out of Egypt. And there could not be any tarrying or any delay. Let's look at a couple of these verses in Exodus 12. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. I just like to jump around a little bit from translation to translation. Exodus 12, verse 11. And thus you shall eat it, talking about the Passover lamb, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Very interesting. God says, put your belt on, Get your shoes on. Be ready to march. Now, eat the Passover lamb, but do it quickly. Eat it in haste. And then dropping down to verse 33 in Exodus 12. 
and the Egyptians urged the people, this is after all their firstborn had been smitten dead, urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. There's that word again. Send them out in haste. Why? For the Egyptians said, we shall all be dead. They were done with these Israelites. Get out of here fast. We're all going to die if you stay here any longer. And verse 39. The Israelites baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So, they were in such a hurry, they didn't even have time to leaven their bread. That's why it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They baked unleavened cakes of dough because they were driven out of Egypt. And they could not wait. They could not delay. They could not tarry anymore. I believe there's a powerful message here again for you and for me. When God calls us, when He calls us out of bondage, when He calls us to come to Christ, there can be no delaying. We need to move. We need to act. Now is the time of salvation. We can't be like Pharaoh and say, uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe when I'm older, I'll think about giving my life to Christ. If you hear his voice, today, the Bible says, obey. And let me read to you a number of interesting scriptures that all use the same word. You'll pick it up. These are all from the New Testament now, and they all, I think, highlight the urgency of our repentance. When God speaks to you about something, don't delay. Don't say, you know, I might think about doing something here next month, or, you know, when I have a little more time, I'm going to really give this some thought. No, if God is speaking to you, act now. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lusts. And Luke chapter 3, verse 7, flee from the wrath to come. Notice, in all four cases, there's something that God is calling us to leave. Immorality, idolatry, youthful lusts, or the coming wrath of God. In every case, what does God say? Uh, take your good old time. You know, might take you a few months to work it out, but think about giving up that immorality. Think about breaking off that uh, immoral relationship. Think about uh, stopping those youthful lusts. Think about maybe one day uh, putting yourself into a position where God's wrath is not going to come upon your life. No, the New Testament says, run for your life. Run. Get out of there. And that's exactly what the Israelites did that night. They had to run out of Egypt. This whole Passover had to be done in haste. And I'm just skimming the surface, but if you really go through the Bible, you'll notice a common denominator between a lot of different saints that really pleased the heart of God. And one thing you'll notice, when they heard from God, they acted fast. I'm thinking of Abraham, when God appeared to him and said, Abraham, how you doing there? Now that's not scriptural, I'm adding that. Abraham, you've got a promised son now. I'm paraphrasing. 
That son Isaac you've been waiting for for 25 years, he's growing up now, isn't he? He's 12 years old. Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. If you read the story, the very next verse, it says, early the next morning, Abraham packed up his son, packed up the stuff, and headed to Mount Moriah. No delay. No dawdling. No, I've got to pray about this to make sure this isn't the devil talking to me. No, today if you hear God's voice, move, act, and specifically some of these things that we read about, negative things, God says, run, flee. And I'm thinking also of Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. Remember Potiphar's wife kept trying to seduce him, trying to draw him into an immoral relationship. Finally, one day, Joseph went running from the house. I'm not sure how much clothing he still had on because he left his robe behind with Potiphar's wife, but he ran for his life. Flee immorality. Flee youthful lusts. And also in Luke chapter 19, you remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was a short man, and he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And as Jesus passed by, he singled him out of everyone in the crowd. He looked up the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for this day salvation has come to your house. Make haste and come down. Do you think he took his time coming down from that tree? Man, I think he jumped. I can't prove it, but I think he jumped out of the tree. Make haste and come down. I'm coming to your house today. You know, now is an important word in the Bible. And if you're bored someday, maybe you'll have a snow day tomorrow and you have a little extra time, go through the Bible and look at all the verses that have the word now in it. Now is the day of salvation. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now is the time of God's favor. You know, God lives in the present. He is Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the eternally present God. God doesn't know past, present, future. He is. He told Moses, I am that I am. So for God, it's always now. And so when God says something to you, it's a now word. It's for now. And I think we can really learn something from this whole Passover feast. It was to be done in haste. When God is calling a sinner to come out, to be separate, to be set free from the bondage of sin, it's not something that's supposed to take 10 or 20 years. It can happen in a single night. Two and a half million Jews, after 400 years of slavery, were all set free in one single night. Think about the logistics of that. Just think about how do you even get two and a half million people out of one place in a single night. But Moses did it with the favor and the power of God. There's another scripture that I've added here. It's not included in the notes, but I came across it in my daily reading the other day, and I thought it was appropriate. In Numbers chapter 33, verses 3 and 4, it says the Israelites marched out of Egypt boldly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying their firstborn. That's powerful. They marched out boldly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying their firstborn. So God smote the firstborn of Egypt in that very night, the Israelites came out, and we may talk about this at a later time, 
But if you study Exodus 12, it gives you another interesting detail. They didn't come out empty-handed. They got all the back pay for their 400 years of slavery. The Bible says they spoiled the Egyptians. The women, in particular, asked the Egyptians for silver, for gold, for all kinds of expensive cloth and clothing, and the Egyptians were favorably disposed toward the uh, Israelites, and they gave them great abundance. And there's a reason for that. Later on in our study, when we come to Mount Sinai, that's where God begins to speak to these Israelites who were formerly slaves in Egypt, but now they've come out of Egypt with great wealth. And God begins to speak to them, bring me your silver, bring me your gold, bring me your brass, bring me all your precious stuff, because we're going to build a tabernacle out of those things. So the silver and the gold and the spoils that they brought out of Egypt were things that were going to be a part of their worship for God in the wilderness. One more important point about the Passover. By eating the Passover lamb, not only were the Israelites delivered from the yoke of slavery, but they were literally healed of all sickness and disease. Now you think about that. Not only were they set free from the bondage of being slaves in Egypt, but they were literally physically healed of every sickness and disease. Let's look at a couple of scriptures on this. I'm not making this up. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 15. The Lord will keep you from every disease. This is now God's word to these slaves as they have come out of Egypt now. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you, note these words, the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt. Think King James says the evil diseases of Egypt. So, whatever horrible diseases they knew in Egypt, that was also broken off of them through this gracious provision of God, the Passover lamb. The Lord will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but He will inflict them on all who hate you. Psalm 105. This is a a good psalm for you to read through. It, it recounts all of Israel's experience in Egypt and coming out of Egypt. We're just going to look at two verses here. <clears throat> psalm 105, verses 36 to 37. Reading from the New King James. It says, He, that's God, also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out, referring to the Israelites, He brought them out with silver and gold. We just talked about that, how they came out with great riches. And there was none feeble among His tribes. Now, it'd be easy to pass over that, but that's powerful. Two and a half million slaves, after 400 years in slavery, of being beaten, miserably treated, abused, oppressed, probably no medical care whatsoever, uh, probably a substandard kind of a diet they had been living on, but... God says, when He brought them out, He brought them out with silver and gold, and not a single one among them was feeble. The word can also be translated weak or sick. Not a single sick person 
in Israel when they came out of Egypt that night. Man, oh man, what power there was in this Passover celebration. Not only did it break 400 years of slavery, not only did it make them wealthy with all the back pay for their labors there in silver and gold and all kinds of other precious stuff, but they're all healed and healthy now. Not a single one of them is feeble, weak, or sick. And what always comes to me, if the blood of those animals, just these were mere animals, if the blood of those lambs in Egypt could accomplish that for the Israelites, how much more powerful is the blood of our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who through his blood brought us into what Hebrews calls a new and a better covenant. Under the new covenant, Jesus died not only for man's sins, but also for his sicknesses. You know, some Christians still have this warped idea that, well, yes, Jesus died for my sins, but healing from sickness is kind of a a special luxury. No, it's part of the atonement. It's all part and parcel of the Passover lamb. Deliverance from sin and healing from sickness. We read this in Isaiah 53, and Peter quotes the verse in 1 Peter chapter 2.24. It says, He himself, referring to Christ, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Okay, we, we get that. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by his stripes, your Bible may say, you have been healed. Here, Peter lumps together forgiveness of sins and healing of sicknesses as all part of Christ's death on the tree, on the cross. And the next verse we're going to read makes it even clearer. In Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17. It says, When evening came... Many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed, here's my favorite word, all the sick. He healed all the sick. Verse 17 explains why. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, and he's also quoting now from Isaiah 53, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. So, Jesus, the Passover lamb, when he was crucified, there's a twofold aspect to the atonement that's taking place through his sacrifice. It's for sin, and it's for sickness. It's all part and parcel of the atonement. He was bearing in his body our sins, and he's also bearing in his body our diseases. Perhaps that explains why his physical body was so distorted. Think about that. If you take every disease, all the diabetes, all the cancer, all the tuberculosis, all the AIDS, all the diseases known to man, all of these evil, horrible diseases of Egypt, and put them all upon one man's body, that's what was happening to Jesus. He was taking all of our sin, 
all of our sickness and all of God's wrath and judgment for those sins and diseases. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Matthew says that's why all of the sick who were coming to Jesus, all of the demon-possessed who were being brought to Jesus, were delivered, set free, (coughs) and healed. They were healed because Jesus was taking up their sicknesses and infirmities. (coughs) In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Healing all. He healed all of them. Healing is the children's bread. It's a part of the atonement. And I'm going to conclude there tonight, because we have a rather lengthy section coming up, and I'm wanting to do the whole thing in one session, but just to sort of introduce it. In concluding this whole second part on the Passover, we're going to look at something very powerful, and that is God wanted them to remember this. This was to become an annual memorial celebration for all of Israel. He did not want them to ever forget what happened that night in Egypt. And again, by extension, for you and for me, God does not want us ever to forget where He brought us from and where He's taken us and how He brought us out from that bondage. Nothing but the blood of the Passover. And we're going to see next time that the Israelites miserably failed to remember. And when you and I begin to forget what God has done for us, uh, it can have very negative consequences in our lives, as we will see with the Israelites. Amazingly, very shortly after this amazing deliverance out of Egypt and what we're going to study next, crossing through the Red Sea where Pharaoh and all of his armies are destroyed, you would think, my gosh, they'll never forget this. But just the opposite. The Bible very sadly says they soon forgot. And it had very, very far-reaching consequences. They got so mixed up that they were soon talking about Egypt being the land flowing with milk and honey. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They were ready to kill Moses, saying, Why did you bring us out from the land of milk and honey into this terrible wilderness? And where are you taking us? They were completely blinded and completely confused because they forgot what God had done for them. The Passover celebration was to be an annual reminder for them. And let me just close by reminding you of one more thing. Paul, we saw in 1 Corinthians 5, told the Christians, we also need to keep the feast. This isn't a one-time thing. We need to understand what he meant. How are we to keep the feast? This was an annual thing that the Israelites literally did once a year, celebrating the Passover. Now, we have Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb. Paul says, let us keep the feast. Let us keep the festival. Obviously, there are ways that God wants you and me 
to be reminded and to remember what the blood of the Lamb has done for us, where God brought us from, and where He is taking us. He brought us out to take us in. May God continue to deepen our understanding of this bondage He's brought us out from, and this abundance, this life of rest, this place flowing with milk and honey, this promised land, promised life of grace that He wants us to enter more and more fully into. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the Holy Spirit that enlightens our hearts, opens our eyes to see wonderful things in Your Word. And God, as we are looking at the details of Israel coming out of bondage and moving into the promised land, God, give us revelation of the journey that You've called us into. Help us, O God, to respond in haste when You call us out of bondage, when You call us away from immorality, from lust, from things that you know are going to hinder and harm us. Help us to respond swiftly to your word and to your voice as the Israelites were told to do there in Egypt, to come out in haste that night as they left Egypt. God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else can set us free from the bondage of sin. Nothing else has secured and guaranteed our liberty and, yes, even our healing of every sickness and every disease. Because on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God bore all of our sins, all of our infirmities, and all of the evil diseases so that we might be healed, that we might be strong, and, Lord, that there would be none feeble among us. But, Lord, all would be quickened by the power of God to live for you and to serve you. Lord, bless this word now to each one of our hearts. Let it be stored up inside of us. Make it a living word, O God. And even in days to come, as we meditate on these thoughts, give us greater and greater insight, greater and greater illumination. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and Amen.